Thank you, Paul, and thank you, Joseph, also for reading as we've gone along. I really felt that this is sometimes we often do for Christmas or for Good Friday or for Easter to like take some time through the service and walk through the story. And I really felt the Lord was calling us to do that for Pentecost too, because the story is so amazing and there's so much of it that I really wanted you to hear it as we continued. So if you're not familiar, my name is Hannah. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my privilege to share with you on Pentecost Sunday. Today we are celebrating the birthday of the church, and that's not the birthday of this local church, but how the separate followers of Jesus became an ecclesia, a gathering, even of movement, how the body of Christ came together and grew in number, grew in influence, grew in authority, and genuinely started changing the world, the effects of which are still, thankfully, here today, and we're part of that. So we're here today because of Pentecost, which is the moment when the Spirit was poured out on the disciples, and they started sharing the gospel. So Joseph started by reading, thank you, from Acts chapter 1, and I want to revisit that passage right now. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 1, the first five verses. And remember, this is the Apostle Luke, who has written the book of Luke, and sometimes it's really great to be able to read Luke together with Acts. So maybe if you're reading through the New Testament, you want to read Matthew, Mark, John, and then read Luke into Acts because they read as one book. In my former book, Theophilus, this is his friend, I wrote about all that Jesus began began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, that's his death and resurrection, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. We don't hear a lot about those 40 days. We hear a little bit. We hear the story of the two on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus started walking with them, and he didn't, they didn't know who he was yet. We hear about him appearing to his disciples who were in a locked room, and they thought he was a ghost, and then they realized that it was him. We hear about him appearing to Peter on the shore of Galilee when he was fishing and kind of giving up on this whole idea of following Christ. Jesus appeared to him, and the whole story of that. But that's about it. There's one other part that Luke gives us here. He says, on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with his disciples, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem. So don't don't scatter back to your hometowns. Don't scatter to go even share the story of my death and resurrection. Don't do that yet. But wait for the gift from my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. And you'll find he has spoken about that throughout the Gospels. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So these disciples have been following Jesus for three years. They have been present for his teaching. They have seen his miracles, many, many miracles. They've prayed with him. They've witnessed his death and his resurrection. They've even confessed their faith in Jesus as Lord, and they have been baptized in water. And yet, according to Jesus, that is not enough. So before he ascends to heaven, he tells them to wait in Jerusalem. He tells them not to go go fulfill the Great Commission, to go and preach the gospel, until they have received this gift. 
So brothers and sisters, my takeaway here is that if salvation and water baptism wasn't enough to make these first disciples into fully empowered kingdom believers, then certainly we too are called to wait for this gift the Father promised, to look for it, to seek it, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you're here saying, well, I don't know if this baptism of the Holy Spirit is for me. I mean, I've heard about it for a long time, but it's just not really my style. Then you're actually putting up a bit of resistance to what God has offered you and asked of you. We've learned a lot in the past couple of weeks in 1 Samuel that obedience and humility to God's calling, even when it's not what we had in mind or not what we envisioned, is what leads to a flourishing life with God. And today that looks like leaning into all that the Holy Spirit has for us. And that includes power. And let me tell you, friends, I've said this before, but our culture needs to see the power of God. Our culture sure needs to know that we understand our faith. That's important. But our culture is less concerned at this point with our um, our apologetics or our rational defense of our faith. That's really important still because our mind is important. But we are more in the situation of the Corinthian church. And Paul says to the Corinthian church, I came not just with words, but with a demonstration of God's power. And our people around us need to see that. So guess what? Jesus says in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's their city, in all Judea and Samaria, the surrounding areas, and to the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit, let's be clear here, the Holy Spirit came to live in you when you were saved. When you received the gift of Jesus' love and forgiveness and you became part of the family of God. Ephesians 1.13 says, You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And Jesus says he would send the Holy Spirit as our comforter, as our teacher, to remind us of the things that God has taught us. But there is clearly, in the book of Acts and following, a second filling of the Holy Spirit that happens afterwards. And this is often in the process of seeking God or being prayed for by others. There are a lot of examples of this in Scripture, but I'll just tell you one story, and that's in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, the apostles in Jerusalem heard that many in Samaria, which is an outlying region, had accepted the word of God. So that's amazing. They had become believers. So they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When Peter and John arrived, they prayed for the new believers there, so they're already believers, that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So it's been said, and like everything in our faith, this is an oversimplification, but sometimes it helps us understand. It has been said, I find this helpful, that the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes in you at salvation, that's primarily for you, that he's your guidance and your sanctification, your teacher and your comforter. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this second work, is primarily for others, so that you can share about Jesus with boldness, so you can pray for others with power, so that you can prophesy into other people's lives. 
And back to our story in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus ascended into the sky and disappeared from the disciples' sight, when they were all together praying, and I love how Joseph read all the names of the people who were there. This is sort of like a historical record. People who were there, there were also women there, there was also, Jesus' mother was there. They're all praying. And this is not one day, this is not two days, it's probably at least 10 days where they set aside the things in their life and they're seeking they don't even know quite what they're seeking, but they're saying, God said to do this, and we'll know when it's happened. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And I love this. These are some of the same people, some of these disciples, who couldn't stay awake in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus asked them to. He said, will you just pray with me for an hour? And they couldn't stay awake. But here they are, praying together for multiple days. Suddenly the sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So there's a unity, so it came together and then separated and it came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And this is just a sign of the glory of God. There are many times in Scripture where the glory of God is visible. And here in this situation, the baptism of the Holy Spirit looks like fire on these people's heads. Like it's so visible and so um, beyond anything that we have experienced up to this date, beyond anything they have experienced. So they begin to speak in other tongues. And some of you may be completely unfamiliar with the concept of tongues or other spiritual languages. And I don't claim to understand it completely either. What is clear is that when the Holy Spirit comes upon people, let's, let's say before this time, in the Old Testament or the New Testament before Pentecost, that experience where the Spirit of the Lord came on so-and-so generally affects communication. Occasionally, there are a couple things. We saw Saul, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, he was filled with righteous anger. But that was really an exception. Usually, those filled with the Spirit of God prophesy or pray or teach or bless others. This infilling is evidenced as speech. For example, in Luke, earlier in Luke, when Elizabeth hears the greeting of her cousin Mary, the mother of Jesus, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, Scripture says, and she exclaims this blessing in a loud voice. She says, "'Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you will bear.'" Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So the Spirit of the Lord comes upon her, and it's evidenced as speech. But these tongues are new here at Pentecost, and then are taught about in the rest of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul talks about tongues as a prayer language by which we pray without even understanding what we're saying. It's a way to be built up and strengthened in God. Paul says, the one who speaks in tongues edifies, builds up himself or herself. In the book of Romans, Paul writes that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't always know what to pray for. We don't know how to pray about that thing. But the Spirit himself intercedes with us through wordless groans. The Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God bridging the gap between our limited understanding, but our desire to pray and our command to pray, and heaven and God's vision of things. 
First Corinthians even speaks of tongues as a way to praise God through song. Talks about speak, singing in the spirit, and that's something some of you may be familiar with. Neither I nor any of us has fully explored every aspect of tongues, and that's okay. There's always more to be explored in every part of our relationship with God. Like the disciples, we get a lot of our understanding about God and his kingdom along the way. Not before God works in us, but during or even after. So you don't have to fully get it to ask for more of God. I believe rationality and our faith is important. I absolutely value serious intellectual study of theology. And at the same time, one of the things I personally love about tongues as a prayer language is that it cuts through everything. It cuts through the spinning thoughts, the over-analysis that is in my head, I don't know about yours, the worry about whether I'm praying the right thing in each situation. Praying in tongues builds real faith that God is listening and working and gives me a clear sense of the Holy Spirit. And God answers those prayers in accordance with his will. So the disciples, back to our story, were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues. As the people of Jerusalem saw what was happening, then they heard Peter preach, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified. So they are, they're familiar with the events that have happened. And Peter is explaining them to them. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And they experience conviction. They're cut to the heart and they say, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So Peter proclaims the gospel so effectively that 3,000 people are saved. 3,000 people. And let's remember what we know about Peter up to this point. He's the one who is often confused. He saw Jesus on the mountaintop shining with the glory of God and felt like he had to say something. So he was like, uh, should we like build some tents and stay here a while? And everyone looks at him like, what are you talking about? Later, when Jesus is giving him serious warnings, he sort of blusters weakly to Jesus, even if everyone else leaves you, I will never leave you. And then, of course, he's the one who famously denies Jesus three times to three people who were not very threatening, made a point, even swore an oath saying, I don't know this guy. I am not associated with him. So here he is a matter of months or maybe even weeks later. The situation in Jerusalem is just as volatile as it was when Jesus was crucified. The same leaders are there with the same threats. But now, the guy who denied Jesus to a lowly servant girl is preaching about Jesus to thousands of people. And not too long after, he heals many people in the name of Jesus. Then he's arrested and beaten and released with a warning not to talk about Jesus, but he keeps preaching. So Peter was a follower of Jesus, but he obviously needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit to become the empowered leader that God wanted him to be. 
And that's not just Peter, though. There are so many examples. I'd love for you to just read the book of Acts and see all the things that the Holy Spirit does through his power. Stephen in Acts 6 is a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. He performs great wonders and signs among the people. By the Holy Spirit, he has a vision of heaven and Jesus that enables him to be a faithful witness even as he is being killed. Philip, really cool story. He's guided by the Spirit to evangelize boldly to someone he doesn't know, who he didn't even realize was reading the scriptures and who was interested in Jesus. So he evangelizes. Then he's transported to a new location by God's power to share the gospel. How would you like that? He just goes where the Spirit leads him, and then after that, the Spirit just says, okay, I want you in a new spot, and puts him in a new spot, and he shares the gospel there. In Acts 13, Paul again, he's trying to witness, and he's being antagonized by a really persistent enemy. Then he is filled with the Holy Spirit. He proclaims the gospel with boldness to the extent that many people are saved. So what about you? What about me? Do we need boldness? Maybe as you try to live for Jesus in your workplace, you feel the enemy rising against you. You might feel legitimate social or spiritual opposition. Maybe you need power in your life to pray when you're overwhelmed or depressed, to share the gospel with strangers or even with your best friend, to pray for others when you yourself are having a hard time. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you have been filled, you may also just need to be refilled. I constantly need to be refilled. In Acts chapter 4, the apostles come together, those who have been baptized in the Spirit at Pentecost, and they're experiencing a lot of opposition, and they come and pray, and God fills them again with the Holy Spirit, and again they're able to go out and preach and heal people and do the things that they're called to do. So we have set aside, this is something we'd like to do more often, but we may as well do today, We've set aside an hour and a half this evening from 6 to 7.30 for worship and for prayer, for seeking more of God. Of course, the Lord wants to give us this gift. He wanted to give the disciples this gift, but for some reason, he didn't give it to them right away the second that they asked. He actually wanted them to seek and wait for it. There was something in the process of seeking God that brought them closer to him, that made them prepared to receive this gift. So we just want to give you that gift of time, that time together in the Lord's presence. We're so blessed to have Marcello here, and he's prepared very thoughtfully and prayerfully on the songs that we're going to be singing tonight, and there are many of them, and the prayers that we're going to be leading tonight. So we'd love for you to come back, even if, you know... You may get to this afternoon and be like, okay, I thought I was going to go, but clearly I'm too tired. I promise you, you won't regret going. Even if you go at your low point, even if you go and you feel tired or weak, the Lord is going to meet you and to bless you. So I encourage you to come back for that, but we're also going to spend some time right now singing, so I'd love for the band to come up. Singing this last song, and this is an invitation to the Holy Spirit, to God, to have more of us so we can have more of him more of him, less of us, so that we can experience all that he has for us, so that we can experience his presence in a real way, in even a physical way, so we can recognize that heaven is here. That's what Jesus told us. The kingdom of God is here. It's not separate or far away, but he is with us. So would you stand as we continue in our worship?
Lord, we thank you for this gift that you've promised us. And it goes outside of our understanding, as many things do. Lord, we ask for more of you. We confess that we sometimes struggle with apathy, with just being used to the things that the world does. Sometimes we struggle with fear. We don't know what to trust you with. But you are good. You have good things for us. You look at us and you say, I have so much to offer you. Will you just receive it? So Lord, in Jesus' name, in faith and a little trembling, we say we receive it, Lord. We receive what you have for us. We receive what you have for us individually. We receive what you have for us as a church. Lord, we want to be the community that seeks you in the way you want us to. Lord, we want to experience all the things you have for us, and we want to be the blessing you've called us to be. Lord, we want our impact on our community to increase substantially. Lord, we would like our witness to increase beyond what we have seen in the past. Lord, we would like our prayer and our faith to increase more than what we've seen in the past. We thank you that you want all of this way more than we do. So we ask that you would lead us and guide us. We surrender. In Jesus' name, amen.